You're listening to Health Call Live, the area's only live local interactive radio hour devoted to you and your health. Watch the video live stream on the Health Call Facebook page and call us with your questions at 447-1190 or toll free at 800-333-1190. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Good morning. It is great to be back with you again. Really appreciate you finding time to include us in your busy weekend. Well, here we are, cold flu season. Yeah, it's sneaking up on us. And you know that other virus that's kind of uh, wrecked our lives, it's still out there. A lot to think about this time of year, particularly if you're getting up there in years. If you're a little bit more on the elderly side of things, your immune system can get to be kind of fragile. So I asked Dr. Jared Wagman from Indiana Direct Primary Care to come in this morning and talk to us a little bit about tuning up our immune system, keeping things on uh, the ready-to-go edge, but not going too far because you can have an immune system that is overactive and cause a problem. Doctor, welcome. Anything that we can do? Can we really tune up our immune system? Absolutely. There's a lot of things that we can do to tune up our immune system. And the first thing is just to not let the winter get us down, to keep moving, keep motivated. Um, and then in addition to that, as the winter comes around, you know, maybe add a few vitamins to our regimen. Let's talk about all of those things in just a second. So I took a look at the Indiana dashboard on the flu. And so far, things are really not too bad out there. Uh, 2.4% is what the, the, um, the stage reporting right now. And that's about double last year's rate for where we are on the calendar, but still well below previous years. Nationwide, there have been only uh, 13,000 hospitalizations for the flu itself. So, still we're on the backside of uh, those numbers. That's great to hear. What are you seeing in your practice? So, I think right now uh, we do see that. We don't see a lot of uh, flu just yet. I think what the worry is, and uh, when you look at previous years, we look at other countries um, that experience it first and how that wave comes. And Australia, for instance, has a very, very large um, burst of uh, flu this year, and it's been a pretty significant and severe season for them. One of the things we are seeing a lot around here is actually RSV. Yeah. RSV is a typical virus that we see in young kids, and it's always been a virus that um, was more dangerous for premature babies and things like that, and, and especially kids with small airways and airway issues. What we're seeing with RSV this year, interestingly enough, is we're seeing more adults with it, and not just with colds. We're seeing them get hospitalized. So it's an interesting change in what we um, would normally see on a year-to-year basis. Is that because we just have been so isolated in protecting ourselves against everything? Their immune system isn't really kind of familiar with the looks of these viruses. You could make that argument for sure. I mean, it's really hard to tell. You know, every virus mutates and, and changes, and you know whether or not this is just a you know more virulent version of that virus this year, or our immune system in general are just down because we've been wearing masks and you know socially distancing, and now we're getting back to a more regular life, and we're going to experience those colds and things. And you know, is our immune system worse for it? You know, I would argue yes. Um, you know, as kids and, and things, if you stay in a bubble and, and get out of that bubble, what ends up happening to those kids? They end up getting cold after cold after cold because they never experienced it, never helped their immune system boost. So over the last two years, our, we've really kept our immune system at bay. It hasn't really had to respond to much. Um, and when that happens, it's going to take longer for it to ramp up. 
Yeah, you know, let's talk about the immune system a little bit. There are two really kind of, well, it's very complex, but I'm going to boil it down as simple as possible. There are a couple of cells that are always circulating in our bodies all the time, macrophages and neutrophils. And they're kind of the first responders who attack whatever comes at them. But when your body, when that doesn't knock out enough of them or those, those attackers stay in your body long enough, then your body starts to ramp up antibodies that are specific to that particular virus. And that's what a vaccine is supposed to do, right? Correct. So the whole idea of the vaccine is that you present an antigen or part of the virus to the system, not the whole virus, obviously, because you don't want to you don't want to get sick right. from it. It's just part of it. So your body recognizes that it creates the antibodies that go along with that. But what happens is those antibodies don't just float around your system all the time. They get stored. And what happens when you get represented then with that cold virus or, or flu or whatever it is, your initial immune system, those macrophages, neutrophils respond to that. They recognize, oh, I've seen this before, and then they start creating those antibodies again. So even though you had a vaccine, that doesn't mean you can't get sick from it. Mm-hmm. What that means is, is that you know when it, when your body does recognize it, hopefully much sooner than it would have otherwise, that your symptoms will be much less than they would have been otherwise. You know, and that's a good point. We're all you know we always hear those recommendations: get that flu shot. And is it going to prevent me from getting the flu, or is it just going to make the flu less of a problem? Right. So, in general, it's, it's going to make it less of a problem. Um, if you're around flu, even with the flu, if, even though you've had the vaccine, you're protected in some ways, but that doesn't mean you can't get it. Which is why we need to have the, uh, our immune system in as best a shape as can be. And that involves a couple of different things. There are a lot of supplements out there on the market you can take. Do you think any of those have an effect? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some uh, evidence and data to suggest that the supplements do have an effect. And I think we saw that through COVID. Um, there were a lot of studies specifically with COVID, but, you know, COVID is a viral illness. It's essentially a cold virus. You know, this one that we had recently was, uh, you know, a predominant one that caused you know people to be much sicker. But coronavirus, cold viruses have been around forever. Same thing with the flu. So when we looked at that, there were a lot of studies that actually came out during that time. And even when people were hospitalized, we were treating them with vitamins. What were we treating them with? We were treating them with vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc. So those seem to be the ones most studied recently. Those are the things that seem to uh, boost up the immune system. Are there other things out there? There probably are. Those are the things we've studied most recently and the things we know have been useful. Yeah, vitamin D, especially in our area, is important. If you take a look at uh, where we are from uh, away from the equator through all the winter months, there just is never enough sunshine to get your vitamin D levels up where they need to be. So what do you recommend for people? So supplementing through the wintertime, especially in this area of the country, uh, if we looked at the numbers, I don't have hard data on this, but you know, it, just in my practice, I would say over 50% of the patients that we check their vitamin D levels are low. And when you look at that, even some of those have been supplementing with, you know, by mouth therapy with vitamin D. I think what a lot of people don't recognize and realize is that, you know, your body needs sunlight to activate most of those. So if we don't have that sunlight, which in Indiana, we have a pretty great winter for a lot of months, <laughs> don't we? Um, there are certain um, certain other things that we can do by taking active vitamin D um, and doing even things like vitamin D infusions, injections, and, and things like that. So they're out there, they're available. Um, it's just important to get checked um, and make sure that your your body's absorbing what you're actually taking and taking good quality things as well. You know, getting anything off the counter. You know, not everything's equivalent. 
Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Uh, a lot of people have never had a blood test for vitamin D, and that's something that I've always done. And and I don't know, I'm keeping mine at like 50 is about the the level where I'm at. Is that appropriate level? Should I go higher? What's your thinking on that? So we need to be careful with vitamin D. We can do too much vitamin D. It's actually one of the vitamins your body stores a little bit differently than other vitamins. B vitamins, for instance, if you have an excess of B vitamins, we tend to pee them out. Mm -hmm. So there's not a danger in taking too much of those. Vitamin D, on the other hand, is one that we actually store. And if you store too much of it, you can actually cause damage to organs in your body for that. So keeping it at a level that's above the base or the bottom is good. So 50 is a relatively good number. When we look at the standard of what vitamin D level should be, we're looking the very, very low side is 30, which again, a lot of people are deficient even even below that. Uh, But then you go to as high as 100. So having a level 50 is, you know, kind of right there. Zinc, uh, interesting because of its role, and uh, there are things that can help your body absorb more zinc. If you're an older person, uh, you have some special challenges around getting enough of these minerals, don't you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So not only do does your diet change as you get older, um, your intestinal, um, the way it absorbs gets older. The amount of acid you have in your stomach changes, which that changes how you can absorb nutrients and how their body, the internal part of your um colon and, and the rest of your bowel is meant to absorb you know, in many different ways. And, and as you get older, those areas of the bowel become less and they just don't have the ability to then have the surface area to absorb as many nutrients. One of the reasons I, I wanted to invite you to talk about this is because of the uh, a focus in your practice. You work very hard with patients not to fix what's wrong, although you do that certainly, but keeping them healthy and well. So your focus is really on a wellness practice. And I think that's Im- an important distinction. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some other things that make your practice a little bit different. I think people are going to find that interesting. And if you have a question for Dr. Wegman, I feel bad I didn't invite you to call earlier, but he's right here in the studio with us. You can give us a call at 447-1190 or shoot a text to 46862. And I will put that question to Dr. Wegerman as we come back with more of the Health Call Radio Hour on WoWo. Welcome back to Health Call Live, where health information is free and the stethoscope is never cold. We're here to answer your questions at 447-1190. Now back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. And as advertised, when you send a text to 46862, it comes right here to the studio and allows me to put that question to the guest, who today is Dr. Jared Wegman, who is board-certified internal medicine and also family practice. He operates Indiana Direct Primary Care, office location on Coventry Lane, right over there, sort of near the Kroger uh, in the Coventry Plaza. And uh, he's with us today. We're talking a little bit about the immune system and other things. But one of the questions that came in, doctor, is what are the signs you've moved beyond a healthy immune system into an overactive immune system. Right. So there's a lot of different ways that that can happen, and it can manifest in a number of different ways um, from uh, autoimmune diseases such as um, you know lupus, um, autoimmune diseases that affect the bowel, um, autoimmune diseases that affect the thyroid. So it's really hard to nail down exactly the symptoms that would that it could cause uh, because it can affect so many different ways. What I would say is is that if your body's changed in some way, if you're not feeling like you did before, if your family history suggests that there's other autoimmune diseases, all those things would tell you something's different, something's wrong, and and you need to investigate it. 
Yeah, there are a, an amazing amount of drugs to, available today to get that under control, but there are a lot of things you can do outside of medications to control an overactive immune system. Exercise, very important, as we talked about earlier, for preventing a lot of different conditions. Uh, and I want to just touch briefly on when do I need to see and reach out and see a doctor if I've got the flu. Temperature is one of the things that people often are quick to jump on. Is that a mistake? In some cases, yes. Um, when your body responds to a bacteria, virus, and things like that, one of the natural responses is to raise your temperature and get a fever. That fever is there for a reason. It's, it's there to alert you that something's going on, number one. And two, the actual rise in temperature actually helps in the killing action of the virus and bacteria. So jumping on that early may actually inhibit your body's response to that. Now, having said that, people often feel miserable with a fever. So there's a certain point where you might just symptomatically want to treat that, but jumping on it every time doesn't—it doesn't necessarily have to happen. One of the things about elderly people, as they get older, sometimes when they get high fevers, they'll get confused and other things. So they may be somebody you may treat a little bit sooner, uh, but that fever, in general, at least alerts you that something's going on. What? When do I need to take action? What's a, a danger point? So, danger point, really, I mean, from a medical standpoint, we don't really consider it dangerous until you reach 105 and above. Now, having said that, we oftentimes will treat a little bit earlier than that because we don't know if it's rising. So, you know, when you hit 102, 103, oftentimes we kind of trigger to, to get some medicine in the system to make sure that we don't get to that level or above. Yeah, you know, I just read something the other day. I thought it was interesting. Uh, so many people now use either contactless or sometimes a digital thermometer. And this article was saying it's a good idea to take your temperature a few times when you're normal and write that down because, it, you, you know, the 98.6 temperature that we all think is so normal may not be normal for you. So it's good to know what your normal truly is on that device so that you can more accurately measure when you truly do have a fever. Love that little factoid. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't thought of that one. One of the things that makes your practice different is... You give patients your cell phone number so they can text you and call you. I find that just so fascinating. Tell me about that aspect of your practice. I think it's important for patients to have access to uh, be able to answer questions, to be able to jump on top of things when they do have something happen. One of the problems with our healthcare system is we're very reactive to things uh, when things go wrong and things go badly. And when we do that, it, you know, when you're reacting two or three days later from when it first starts, you're behind the eight ball already. So if my patients can get to me immediately when something happens, we can tackle that quickly. And by tackling it quickly, we can avoid a lot of things down the road. We can uh, prevent them from having to go to the urgent care. We can prevent them from having to go to the ER, both of which are significant expenses for them. It's a significant time uh, investment for them. Going to see sit the urgent care with a, a whole broom of other sick people and waiting two hours to see you know, something for you know a quick prescription to get out. Going to the ER and waiting hours upon hours uh, for something, and then you know maybe at that point even needing to be admitted to the hospital, something that could have been avoided by a simple text message. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Part of the name of your practice, Indiana Direct Primary Care, tells us a lot. This concept of direct primary care is sort of a new movement in medicine these days. You don't take insurance, and you limit your number of patients uh, to a small number. And I know you're working with local businesses as well. How is that working out uh, for a business owner? What's the advantage there? 
So a lot of advantages um, in some ways. So the business owner that can't necessarily afford the health exchange system for their um, employees, you know, small employers that just don't have thousands of dollars to throw monthly towards employee health care expenses. You know, every small business owner knows that you know every dollar means something. Mm-hmm. So when we look at Indiana Direct Primary Care, they know their upfront costs. You know, for about a thousand dollars a year, they can provide their employee at least basic health care in a primary care office. What does that get them? It gets them a lot of preventative care. It gets them care when they first get sick quickly so they can get back to work or not even miss work at all. We have ways to do visits virtually. We have phone calls that we can do um, to take care of patients. So they don't even have to leave work to be able to do that. Because one of patients' biggest problems is, is how am I going to get to the doctor? I work every day. Um, and the other thing that we do is that we do some non-traditional appointment time. So if somebody does have to work you know, and we need to see them at 6 p.m., 7 p.m. on Saturday, on Labor Day, if we're available, I'll see you. You know, I just saw a study that said the average doctor's appointment takes 127 minutes out of your day involving travel, the waiting time when you get to the office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So two hours for a doctor's visit. And I know one of the things that you say, the way you run your practice, you don't keep people waiting. How does that work? So we, we just work on the way we schedule things. We know that people need time. So we schedule things when you come in the office. Um, I know you, first of all. So I know kind of your conditions and what, what, what our interactions are like. So, you know, Lee, we may sit down and talk for an hour, and I know that. So I will schedule that time with you, whereas other patients may need 15 minutes, and I know they kind of need to be in and out. So having that knowledge behind there and then not having thousands of patients waiting to get in, I don't feel the need to schedule 15 minutes appointments. And when you talk about, you know, having that appointment time frame last two hours for people, how often or how much time is actually spent with a doctor? It's yeah. probably about 15 minutes at max, right? Yeah. So yeah. two hours for 15 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy, isn't it? Uh, you have a fixed price model, which I know is such a mind blower for a lot of people. I think patients pay, what, is it $99 a month? Yeah, so it's $99 a month all in. So that includes all the visits that you can have any given month. So there's no copay, no deductible associated with that. When they come see me, they sit down, we talk, and they're like, oh, I know there was something else. And I said, that's okay. You know what? You can see me tomorrow. It doesn't cost you another dollar. Um, in addition, to that, you know, we can give medications right there at wholesale cost. Most of them cost less than $5 in the office. You can leave with it when you go. Um, so that's one big benefit. We do laboratories there. We draw them. Again, everything there is super inexpensive to get a blood count $5, whereas at the hospital it'll be $100, $125. In addition to that, yet, we still have the, a gym. We have a gym associated with our practice that you can use 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we have a personal trainer, nutritionist to help you along kind of the wellness part of it. So that's one of the big things we focus on is wellness. But we know people get sick. We're there for that. We want to jump on top of it when it's there. But ultimately, we want to keep you well. Well, I want to get clear on that. The personal trainer and the nutrition consulting, that's all included in my $99 a month? Correct. Yep. We, we believe that that's an important thing because when you when a lot of people go to the gym, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to work out. And so we train them to do that. Now, you know, the goal for our personal trainer is not for you to continue to come back to see him. It's to teach you 
teach you how to do things. So if you go off on vacation and you're at a gym there, you, you know what to do with the equipment. You know how to keep that going. If you move away, whatever the scenario is, if you have a local gym that you'd rather go to, you get those basics with us. You can take that anywhere. And I know you're limiting the size of your practice. Are you still accepting new patients? We are. We are still accepting new patients. But the, the goal is, is that we don't have any more than 500 patients. If I get up to five over 500 patients, I feel like I can't get personal care at that point. So we... Uh, um, we really want to be able to have that sort of family relationship with people. When they walk in the door, we want to know your name. We want to know who you are. You're not just a number in our practice. And that is uh, Dr. Jared Wegman. He is with Indiana Direct Primary Care. You'll find them on Coventry Lane, 5714 Coventry Lane. More importantly, though, you can find them online and learn more about them at indianadirectprimary.com. Doc, thanks for coming in. Yeah, appreciate it. Always interesting talking with you. On the other side of the half hour, lots of good stuff to explain to you about a new report that says, yeah, that virus probably did come out of a lab in Wuhan. And then we're going to learn about how you tell a patient they're dying. So a lot more coming up in the Health Call Radio Hour on WoWo. Podcasts by Federated Media.